The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the very sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen very sexy push-up bra in on-trend hues like green, citron, and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Ray Harkins, and I'm recording this at about one in the morning in my car as I'm driving home from a reunion show that I did with my old band, Taken. More on that in a minute. But the guest this week, holy shit, I don't even know where to begin, but uh, I will begin with the name, Aaron Turner. He is the owner of Hydrahead Records who has put out records by bands like Botch, Caven, like anything related to heavy music that is artistic, groundbreaking, other adjectives I can't come up with right now. Uh, they Hydrahead Records had something to do with it. And on top of that, he also sang and played guitar in a band called Isis. And yeah, more on that in a minute. I got to get business out of the way first, then I can just go right into it. Um, propertyofzack.com incredible site I mean I just can't say enough good things about that you should be visiting them on the daily if not twice a day maybe three times a day four is a little excessive so keep it at three Um, they're great partners they post our show we're proud to be teamed up with them so continue to visit there if you haven't already drop some reviews on iTunes go there you will be able to spend two seconds and give us a two-star, three-star, four-star, five-star, whatever you feel the show's worth. Give that review. I appreciate it. I pay attention to the numbers, and I see, like, okay, where it's, like, 79, 80. I would love to see more because the more that we get that, the more that our podcast has clout, credibility, whatever you like to call it. And I want that because I want more people to listen to the show. Uh, and then secondly, you can also maybe drop an actual word review, like sentences and putting them together. Do that 
and I will pay attention to it and I will say thank you. Um, cause there's legitimately been people I've like reached out and done research and like, Oh, that's that person. I think I'm friends with them on Facebook. <laughs> Anyways. Um, and then visit the website, 100 wordspodcastcom You can f- follow us on Twitter there, Instagram, whatever. There's a bunch of shit you can do there. But above all, I just try to share fun stuff that I trip on during the week that I'm like, you know what? You should pay attention to this. Usually it's like songs, movies, whatever, funny YouTube clips. But usually they all have something to do with the artistic endeavors of creative people. Anyways, um, Aaron Turner. Isis probably is one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, I saw them, I was trying to count it in my head, and I will mention this at the beginning of the interview. Where I mean, I think I saw them like around 40 ish times. It's stupid. Like, and I always told myself when I went to go see them that if they were boring, that I would stop. But, anyways, I go into that in the interview. But uh, to say I was excited that Aaron wanted to do this interview is an understatement. And I tried not to get too fanboy on him and, you know, tried to maintain my composure and be cool about it. Um, but it was hard. Um, yeah, because I just respect his work that he's put in creatively so much. And, you know, that's hard to do for such a long period of time. So, anyways, that's Aaron Turner. Um, and the reason why I'm recording this as I'm driving is because I really want to conceptualize and just crystallize these thoughts that I have of the night that I just experienced and basically how it directly connects to why I do this podcast and why I think the, why I think music is so goddamn important. So like I've mentioned before, and like I plugged band at a reunion show, there's a benefit show the show was incredible. We raised like $5,000 for this family and that just feels great. Like to be so, you know, outside of yourself and be like, all right, here, this is, we're getting together. We're spending money. We're fucking printing shirts. We're doing all these things all for one person. And it was incredible. It was an incredible feeling. And that was ultimately the most important thing of the night. There was obviously byproducts of that. Um, and it's just, it blows my mind because this band, taken was not like we're not big like and when i say big like we hardly made an impact people knew who we were sort of in southern california sort of in canada other random places but it's it's the intensity in which people latch on to a certain band when they discover it you know whatever walk of their life and recognize it as genuine and something that is meaningful to them whatever they're taking out of it and it's like that's what I've always noticed about the people that have followed what Taken has done where it's like, okay, they recognize that it's just fucking dudes. Like we are not, you know, there's no illusions of grandeur or the fact that we wanted to do this band for a living or whatever. Like not like anything, any of those things are bad necessarily, but it just, we never were like that. And I would like to believe that we came from a very genuine place in any event. The fact that, people came, people cared, the show was very well attended, and just the amount of people that walk through your life when you do a show like this, it was just incredible. Um, and to see people that you know I met a year ago, and see people that I've met 10 years ago, a word for it is overwhelming. It's really hard to not feel so fucking sappy and just nostalgic and like all these things that you know you people try to make sure that they don't uh, overblow things but i'm just so grateful 
and like I said, this is like I'm verging on cliches, but I'm just so thankful that I was able to trip across this music scene and that it's given me literally everything that I have in my life from my wife to my job. Like everything is all directly because I decided to pick up, you know, a record and decided to dive into that world. And it's just, it blows my mind that it's being able to give me, yeah, given me so much over such a long period of time. Um, and so, yeah, whatever, this is basically a love letter to independent music. Um, but I hope that you can sort of derive some meaning out of that, whether or not it's like, Oh, this band, I totally get it. Like this band has got me through most of the most difficult times in my life and is so meaningful to me. And if they ever did a reunion or they played around me or whatever, I would just, you know, lose my shit. Um, and I just, I like the fact that people can be so passionate about it. Um, yeah, so it's just awesome. And that's like why I love doing these interviews because I try to get to the core of why people are doing what they do. And honestly, if you've listened to almost every episode, you'll notice a, a, a theme and a trend where it's like, you know, people really do, even though they might be playing different music and be in so many different parts of their lives that they all kind of have similar stories and they've all had similar experiences with music in general. Um, so yeah, it's just such a powerful medium and like, I couldn't even imagine my life not having that in it. So anyways, here's the interview I did with Aaron Turner and the passion is just bleeding all over this. I, I can't even stop. It's fucking one in the morning and I'm just, I'm going crazy. So anyways, here it is. I hope you enjoy it and I'll talk to you after. I think so, yeah. That's, yeah, I totally feel you on that because it was, uh, it definitely affected my house as well. So, yeah. <sighs> um, but yeah, this, uh, obviously, I don't want this to be a very typical interview in the sense of, you know, question, answer. Uh, it's just very casual conversation. I'll just kind of walk you through your life. And uh, essentially, you know, what I like to derive from these is just kind of, you know, kind of why people do what they do and you know how okay so um yeah and i mean it'll it'll, it'll probably take somewhere you know whatever 40-ish minutes or so so uh, but if if i do hit on anything that you're like yeah i don't want to talk about that that's totally fine we can skip it it's not a big well, thing. I'm, I'm usually good at being uh pretty straightforward about that you are. that's a problem yeah no 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 <laughs> no i figured i i actually interviewed you this was like eons and eons ago but uh that there's a terrible magazine from southern california called scratch and uh oh I re- yeah i remember that one yeah yeah it was an awful magazine but i just did freelance writing for anybody that i could and uh yeah yeah so but um <clears throat> yeah so usually i like to start things off with just like my own personal sort of you know experience uh interaction just with you know the musical entity that you're most known for which obviously is isis um yeah i don't even know if i would say that anybody that labels themselves obviously like oh dude i'm a super fan of this band like i feel it's pretty nerdy you know like and not in a good way (laughs) but (laughs) because it's like i i i literally cannot count how many times i saw you guys play like 
from and I think the first time I saw you was when you guys toured out west with Caven and um yeah yeah that was 99 so yeah that was quite a while ago yeah and so I mean I I you know it, it was one of those things that like I think what spoke to me about your band was just the fact that like I honestly always told myself all right dude if they if they aren't that good live or, you know, like you just don't feel excited to watch a band anymore, you know, like if you're just doing it out of repetition or nostalgia. Like, yeah. And so I constantly, I really did always gut check myself where I was like, all right, dude, do I really need to see ISIS for like, no joke, like before, <laughs> the, the 42nd time? Uh, but then, you, you, I don't know, you guys just didn't bore me, which is, I guess, what any band could ask for. <laughs> yeah, well, we tried, we did our best to not over tour. I think that was something we saw happen with friends of ours or our, our people in our peer group where either they or their audiences or both just got burned out from doing the same circuits over and over. And we did, you know, we obviously ended up playing some places over and over again, mm-hmm. but that was simply because we were just around long enough to make that happen. Right. Um, even at our, our highest peak of activity, we tried not to, tour the u.s more than once a year right and in some cases it was spread out spread out even further uh a bit further apart so what i what i always found about you guys too is like even if i did see you uh you know touring you know free like quote unquote more frequently like you know if you were through the same spot within you know whatever a six-month period you were doing a tour that like you couldn't say no to like you know, yeah. If, if Mogwai is going to be like, "Hey, y- y- you guys, we're friends. How about you come out with us?" It's not like you're going to be like, "Nah." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was another exception too. I mean, for instance, if we, like you pointed out, had an opportunity to play somewhere opening for someone else, that would be a different set of circumstances. Because I, I feel like in a lot of ways, playing to an audience like Mogwai or somebody you know like Tool or whatever other bands that we opened for whose audience would have been previously unaware of us that would have been a wholly different set of people which you know um, for us especially when we were still trying to expand uh, the band in that way it was really important yeah no no for sure that's that's yeah so anyways I, I'm, I'm not trying to blow too too much smoke up your ass but just uh, I, I, I watched you play probably way too many times than I probably should care to admit but so good job way, way to not be boring after a while <laughs> yeah that's good well some of my favorite bands have become my favorite bands because they've been consistently good right. live no matter how many times I've seen them and they're not many that fall into that category but i appreciate a lot the ones that do yes well that that's that's good i'm glad <laughs> and so kind of kind of going all the way back to the start you know where were you uh you born and raised i mean i i know you spent time in albuquerque is that is that correct uh close santa fe oh. i wasn't born there i was born in springfield massachusetts mm-hmm. um but my family moved to new mexico I think when I was one and a half and even prior to that, they were spending the summers there. So I feel that's where I originate from. And that was where I grew up and, uh, I didn't end up leaving there until I was 17 when I went to Boston to go to college. Right. So So definitely all of, all of my formative experiences were there. Exactly. Right. The, the, the formative years. And it was funny because I was actually talking about, 
New Mexico today to my wife because we were, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with that show, Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. And so, like, I've never had any, uh, I guess, like, just normal experiences <laughs> in New Mexico in general. Just like Albuquerque is such a strange city. And, like, New Mexico is just this kind of, it's just a weird state. And I don't know if that was like something that you observed as you were kind of growing up um, or was it just kind of, you know, I, you were I didn't be, I was normalized for me because I, I grew up there and I didn't really start to understand how unique it was until I left and started bringing other people back or occasionally, mm-hmm. you know, people would come and visit me or my family before I moved away and would comment on how different it seemed um, and I still can't see it from a completely outside perspective. Right. Um, like I said, it was normalized to me having grown up there, but it is a very unique place. And uh, I, I, in most ways, I feel fortunate for having grown up there, uh, partially because of that, but for a variety of other reasons too. Yeah. So what did your, um, what did your parents do for a, a living? And do you, do you have any brothers and sisters? Uh, I'm the youngest of five. Um, oh wow! <laughs> I, I only grew up with one of my siblings. The others, um, well, they're half siblings, and they lived with their mother. Um, but they came and stayed with us a lot, so they were in and out all the time when I was growing up. Uh, my dad is a writer, and my mother, uh, for much of the time I was growing up, was involved in education. Mm, I see. What, just like a uh, like uh, the educational system, or was she actually a teacher herself? She was a teacher for a while, and then she was part of a nonprofit group that developed curriculum um, of different kinds, but largely centering around uh, environmental issues um, mm. for everywhere, age range from you know elementary school all the way through high school. So. That was a, a big part of her pursuit when I was growing up. Sure, sure. And what your your dad was a writer. What was his uh, What was his focus? Uh, he wrote a lot of nonfiction and did some journalism. Uh, pretty much up until the time I left for uh, college, and then in subsequent years has been focusing a lot more just on fiction with occasional um, freelance articles. Oh, interesting. Like was it that 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 seems like a a a job that would be um I, I wouldn't say difficult to explain, but you know, you you might have looked at your father and been kind of like, "Oh, like that's that's not like what everybody's dad does. Like, you know, they're not a, you know, banker or whatever the the typical dad job was that, you know, when you were going through elementary school and high school and stuff like that." To some extent, but um Santa Fe had a lot of uh, writers and painters and photographers. I mean, in, in a certain way, there was a big arts community there. That's uh, true. It wasn't necessarily uh, very progressive, and it was a lot of it was very regionally specific in a certain way. But um, it was still, I think, more present there than a lot of other towns of that size. Yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of associations with it around that yeah no that that is true i forgot yeah in the context of of santa fe you definitely hear a lot of people that you know they they go there to uh work on their craft because there you know might be less distractions in a way (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. And so you, uh, you know, as you kind of grew up in, <clears throat> in New Mexico, did you, uh, you know, what, what did you find yourself doing? You know, were you, uh, were you into sports and, you know, or were you, uh, more of a indoor kid as I like to refer to him that, to that time? Um, I wasn't, I wasn't an indoor kid, uh, but I wasn't into sports either, but, um, you know, there was a lot to see and do in the natural landscape around where I grew up. And like a lot of kids, I just learned how to make my own fun running around outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was pretty good at entertaining myself indoors as well. I was definitely really into drawing and listening to music and later making music uh, to a slightly lesser extent reading mm-hmm. um, as I was growing up. So those were main pursuits, uh, sure. some of which were extremely introverted, but some of which later became group activities too. So I would definitely say that I was naturally drawn to creative pursuits from an early age. Did uh, you? My parents definitely oh. encouraged me that way too. And I, bef- I, I ended up befriending a lot of people with similar interests. Yeah, that that's exactly what I was going to ask. But sometimes, I mean, usually, you know, when you're younger, obviously, your parent, you know, parents tend to want to foster their children's curiosity. But then, obviously, sometimes there comes to a point where it's like, oh, like you know, it's either not economically viable to help them, you know, <laughs> along this path, or it's like you know, they're just that you kind of have to choose to do something else in a way. But it's great that they were obviously, you know, understanding of what you started to get into. Yeah, I think there were times, especially my dad didn't really understand it. And I won't say that he disapproved uh, exactly, but I think it took him especially a long time to kind of realize that I was really serious about it and that uh, heavy metal wasn't just a passing interest or like a a teenage phase. Right. Um, But overall, I would say that growing up in a household with parents who liked it and loved a lot of music and uh, were appreciative of the arts in general was probably um, really good for me. Yeah, yeah. Did it, so like was music important to them in the sense of like you know you you were they were exposing you to certain styles of music that they were into and stuff like that. To some extent, I mean, it was sort of just partially by proximity. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't really try to get me into one thing or in particular, it was just that they listened to a lot of music. So I heard it a lot. Right. And for a long time, I was really, uh, averse to the stuff they liked. Um, partially just cause I was a kid and I didn't want to like what my parents liked. Right. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the fact that, um, you know, they liked classical music and jazz and stuff that was, uh, a little more progressive in nature or mm-hmm. um, not necessarily commercially oriented music, I think was an important thing for me in the formative way too. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, especially because usually most, um, you know, people's experience, especially, especially within this sort of independent, you know, music culture is like, you know, oh yeah, my parents were into the radio and that's kind of like, you know, where it existed. Like very, very rare occasions where you actually get a person who is just like, oh yeah, my, my dad bought me, uh, you know, my first kiss record. It's just like, well, that doesn't happen so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, my being the youngest of five, my dad was, um, quite a bit older than the mm-hmm. parents of a lot of my peers. So he was definitely too old to have hit like the 
you know, um, what I guess when I was growing up would have been considered classic rock. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he was a teenager long before any of that stuff happened. So interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I escaped that particular phenomenon and that might be part of the reason why I still don't really care much for a lot of pop music. <laughs> yeah, sure. Cause you're like, well, you know, my, my dad was listening to more highbrow music. It's like, yeah, I don't, uh, this top 40 stuff doesn't really appeal to me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that as you started to go through um, high school, I guess kind of a two-part question where the, um, you know, what what sort of role did you find yourself, uh, you know, filling at high school as far as, uh, you know, part of communities you were gravitating towards? Um, and then I guess the second part was like, you know, did you uh, invest time in studies and did you kind of, you know, dive into high school or, or was it more? No, so- I was a, I was a terrible student. Yeah. I, I really was. I mean, as far as academic stuff goes, my my art teachers loved me and um, I was lucky in that way because I had one especially good one in my junior and senior year. Uh, and I did work hard at that, but mm. I yeah, I was not diligent with the rest of my homework. And my <laughs> grades definitely reflected that. <laughs> sure. Um, and um, I think my last two years of high school were the most formative in terms of what I ended up doing. I mm-hmm. uh, befriended some other kids, the, the few kids that were in my high school who listened to punk and hardcore and that was the, that was a huge turning point for me. Prior to that, I was definitely more into smoking pot and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, listening to Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and just doing some sort of more <laughs> average teenage things in a way. And <laughs> sure, sure. I encountered these kids and got into being straight edge and veganism and some more, I guess, political ideals and uh listening to underground music and that that changed my life forever so uh we were um definitely outsiders and in in a way there wasn't that many of us in our little group and um like a lot of kids i think we were all searching for our own sense of identity and that made us feel important and bonded together and helped us define who we were in the context of our, our larger peer group. Right. Um, I, <laughs> no, I think you, you said something that totally triggered a memory for me where it was like the, the idea of the work that you were doing as far as like the music you were getting into. And like you said, the, you know, the political activism and whatever, once you, once your world started to become bigger, you know, you felt like you were on a secret, like no one else around you knew about it. And you were just like, I, I'm into some awesome shit here. Like, how come? How come yeah. you understand this? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that was part of it. I mean, I think part of it was really resonating with me on a deep level, and part of it was just teen angst. Like, I wanted to be different, or I wanted to piss people off, or mm-hmm. I wanted to piss my parents off. <laughs> right, right, right. Certainly <laughs> factors, but some of it really stuck with me, and I have carried it forward to, to this day. So there must have been something deeper there beyond just wanting to be different or to stir shit up. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're sitting here. It's like June. And you're like, where has the time gone? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. I got to like accomplish all these other things. Take a moment. Focus on the things that obviously for one matter to you, but for two, look back, be like, what have I done well? What have I done not so well? 
and maybe I can, you know, ask some friends and family for some help. But where I have always gone to in regards to figuring out what I can do better, therapy. Therapy is an incredible tool at your arsenal that you can dip into. I've done it for my marriage. I've done it for myself personally. And I'm a huge advocate for what therapy can do for you because it is a third party that's able to look at what you can do to improve your life and be a person to help you along in your journey. And so I think if you were thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and entirely suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then boom, you're done. It's great. And then if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch it at no additional cost. So take a moment, reflect on the things you've done, reflect on the things you want to do, and visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I find it interesting too because because um, I imagine you were going to high school like in, in the early 90s, I would say, or early to mid 90s. Uh, yeah, I, I graduated in 95. Okay, yeah. So, you know, the idea, especially, you know, here we are in 2013 and the idea of like regional music scenes, it still exists, but it's obviously, you know, uh, Akron, Ohio can have just as vibrant of a music community as somewhere else because obviously the globalization of the internet. But yeah, the, the, the point I'm making where it's like Santa Fe, like I, I'd have a hard time thinking of one band that originated from there. So it's like the fact that you guys were, you know, a, a niche of a niche and getting into stuff that yeah. wasn't coming through your town. Like, you know, so were there a decent amount of shows that you guys were able to go to or just here and there? Um, there are some local bands. Most of them were at that time, just kind of like the alternative rock type of bands, like, you mm-hmm. know, um, influenced by, uh, the grunge and pre-grunge explosion, but there was a very small group of uh, punk bands too, mostly on the the crustier end of the spectrum. <laughs> Got it. Um, 
And there are, there is one in particular that's been logical nonsense. He did a couple of records on oh, yeah. alternate on alternative tentacles. And I think even to this day, they're one of the few bands from New Mexico that kind of made it out into the wider world. I remember it was a huge deal when they uh, got an opening spot for Neurosis on the Enemy of the Sun tour. And it was like, uh, it was kind of a feat for a local band to get something of that uh, high profile. And of course, them getting signed to Alternative Tentacles is a big deal too. Yeah, no, I, to- um, I, I totally remember that band. And that was, I had no, I, I had no sense of where they were from, but that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, but there wasn't much of a local scene to speak of. I mean, the times when Logical Nonsense did play, it was, you know, at youth centers or some of these basements. But um, around the time I uh, got out of high school, there was there started to be a little bit more happening. Mm-hmm. There's definitely more going on in Albuquerque, national bands right. who did decide to stop in New Mexico often only played in Albuquerque, so we had to go go down there and make the drive uh if we wanted to see that stuff right um but it was definitely you kind of had to you had to work for it and um the the shows were definitely small so yeah it wasn't easy to to get into that stuff being where we were right uh, it it took i'm very grateful that i did right right yeah it took it took a lot of heavy lifting it was like this isn't something that just drops in your lap there's like no we gotta we gotta invest in this um, yeah, and there was definitely no straight edge hardcore bands in New Mexico. No, none. like we were the only kids I think in the whole state who were into that stuff, <laughs> with, the, with the exception of maybe a, a handful in Albuquerque. Right? No, no, I, you definitely don't see uh, Santa Fe straight edge uh, varsity jackets at all. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> That's incredible. The medium in which you were working in regards to art, like, is obviously like you were saying, you know, your junior senior year. Um, Everybody always has that one teacher in high school that is like of the subject that they enjoy that totally ushers them through and is like, oh, this is what I want to try to do. And like, it sounds like you had that experience too. Yeah. In some ways, that teacher, he didn't necessarily save my high school career, but I did consider dropping out and just taking the GED test and mm-hmm. going that route. And I don't know that it would have had a really detrimental impact on my future, but. Nonetheless, it was really good for me to encounter this particular teacher, and he encouraged me a lot and definitely got me to break out of my own way of doing things and showed me that there were a lot of other possibilities in terms of how I could pursue art and think about it. Right. Um, So I think that was very, um, that was a very important turning point for me that occurred at the same time as my discovery of punk and hardcore. Sure. And it was also because of being in his class that I ended up meeting one of the representatives from the art school I ended up going to in Boston, which was another obviously big change for me that affected everything that happened thereafter. Yeah, no, totally. And before we move on to that, the, what medium were you primarily concentrating on? Just uh, mostly like drawing, like you were saying? Drawing and painting. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So yeah, like you said, I mean, you you know, you moved uh, moved to Boston to go to art school and everything. And so uh, at this time, I'm sure the relationship between you and your parents was was pretty strained. And I'm sure in some ways they were probably relieved that you had some sense of direction where it's like where you wanted to go. Uh, was that the case, or was it they were just kind of like you're like I got to get out of here, and they were like go. <laughs> 
again, I think my mom was always pretty supportive of whatever I wanted to do. And I don't know how much she ever worried about me in terms of my future. Mm -hmm. And I think my dad definitely wondered a lot more about what I was going to do. I don't know if I've never really talked to him about it all that much, but I think I I got the sense that he kind of assumed I was going to art school just because I didn't want to do regular school work, which was part of my motivation. (laughs) But that was also because I really did want to try to pursue art in some more serious fashion. And it wasn't until my third or fourth year of school that he saw I was really seriously invested in having, you know, creativity, whether in art or music, both um, at the center of my life. And I think he started to feel a little more relieved or assured that I wasn't just going to be directionless. And my veganism and being straight edge was off-putting for them and him in particular in a certain way. But I also think, uh, especially for my mom, it was actually kind of reassuring. Like I knew I wasn't going to go off to college just to party. So that was probably helpful. Yeah, right, right. That's, but I mean, it's interesting though, because like everything that you're talking about, your father, like you said, you know, he's obviously older. And I mean, when it comes to that, parents wrapping their heads around what their kids are doing when it's out of context, it's like, they don't, they don't understand. Like, you know, like, you know, whatever, 20, 30 years down the line, you know, you have a child, like, you know, they start to get into, you know, something where you're just like, I have, I have no idea what this is. Like, but you may have a better yeah. you you may have a better sense of it now because you have experienced like you know some you, you've experienced a lot of subgenres and niches of interest. But yeah, it's like so you you know I'm sure you can totally understand where it's like oh yeah I can see where my dad was like Aaron is fucking up man he is making some bad decisions here. <laughs> I, I'm like a lot of parents too. I think my dad he viewed his life in some way as a series of bad mistakes and he didn't want me to make the same mistake. Sure. He's like, Aaron, use, use my life as a roadmap. Do not go down this path. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And so then, uh, I mean, I'm sure the move from New Mexico to Boston was just, uh, was, was there a large adjustment, shall we say? Um, in a certain way. Yeah. I mean, I was totally ready for it at that point. So there was nothing about moving to a big city that was off-putting to me. I was just excited about it Mm -hmm. uh, all across the board. So I didn't feel like overwhelmed. I just dropped into Boston and went for it basically. Right. Uh, Because of the, the musical community that I was a part of, it was pretty easy for me to make connections, making friends and start finding people to play music with. So, right that's another way in which being a part of the underground music scene was really helpful for me. Uh, I was making connections based off of a shared interest in being creative, um, rather than just, again, just wanting to party and fuck off basically. So even though I probably spent a lot more time going to shows and assembling records in my bedroom than I did uh, working on some of my schoolwork. (laughs) Um, I think it was still a very good place for me to be and ultimately shaped my life in a very positive way. Right. In in looking at obviously what you've done through throughout your life as well, um, it it always struck me like, 
I definitely think that it's something within the DNA of people who, um, you know, once they started getting into independent music, you, you can't simply just do one thing. Like, you're not just like, all right, I'm going to, um, you know, play in a band or whatever. It's you're like, all right, I'm going to play in a band. I'm going to put on some shows. I want to put out some friends records. I want to do like, you know, there's, there's always like 5 million things that you want to do. Obviously part of it is youth because you're excited, but it's always struck me that it comes from the fact that you obviously want to create art as opposed to like, all right, here's obviously the end game of, I I will make money off of this. Like obviously, obviously that needs, obviously that needs to come into play in some way, but it's never, it's, it seems like it's never been, you know, the, obviously at the forefront, you, you've never been the, the most, uh, I guess, business savvy guy from that perspective where it's like, no, right. <laughs> not at all. Right. Okay. That, that was a, a shortcoming that has come back to haunt me. Yeah. Um, in some pretty big ways, obviously, uh, what's happened to Hydrahead is, has a lot to do with that. Of course. But, <clears throat> Yes, the motivation for me then and now was just to work with people that I enjoyed working with, to make creative pursuits the center of my life, and to participate in a creative life that involved making connections with other people and involved, you know, being part of a a public forum, basically. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be connected to the world through what I was doing. I wanted to be able to have some kind of voice in the world through my art and music and also um, help other people get their music out into the world. So those were always the motivations for me. And that was like the drive for me to do it. I do wish um, that I had spent a little more time thinking about how things could function over the long term <laughs> right. based off of some sound business principles. But in the same way, well, let's just put it this way. I'm glad that everything has happened the way that it has. I don't think that the label or even some of the musical projects that have been involved with would have turned out um, the way they have if I was thinking about um, business more than the creative side of things. Um, right. It's probably would have been helpful for me to encounter more people along the way who did have some business sense. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but, I, uh, but I found myself surrounded by a lot of people who just didn't care about much of anything or a lot of kind of like me and cared more about, you know, making music rather than figuring out how to make a business function. Right, right. How, like, how, how are we going to pay for this? Was Isis your first musical endeavor from that perspective? Or like had you tried to put stuff together like in high school and like I had some pseudo bands before I left New Mexico, but nobody that was ever really serious. I mean we played at most we played a high school talent show. Oh um, those or, are always those or, are always great experiences. Yeah. I we I had one sort of looking back on it, it was a pretty progressive project in a weird way. We played vacuum cleaners and uh, ladders and tape decks uh, and guitar. It was like a weird uh, music concrete slash industrial slash metal 
type thing. And we we only played one show, and it was uh, opening for Cole House and Bloodlet and Santa Fe. Uh, it was actually a lot of fun, and I wish that we had pursued that a little bit more. Did this, anyway, I'm glad that it, it happened at all. Right? Did this? Uh, did that project have a particular name? Because it sounds like with that band would have a great name. Uh, if it did, I don't remember what it was. Um, <laughs> That's great. Uh, but no, there wasn't anything really serious uh, before I left for Boston. And then the last two, I actually can't remember when I started the band prior to ISIS, but the band was called Union Suit. And uh, yeah. we did a demo cassette, which was an unofficial Hydrahead release. And then we did a seven inch on second nature. And I think that was maybe 96 or 97. And we played quite a few local shows and out of state shows. And that was that. So yeah, that kind of, that kind of, that got your feet wet, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. And I knew, I mean, I knew even before doing that, that I really, really wanted to be in a band and do as much as possible in that way. But it wasn't really until ISIS started that I was able to do more of what I really felt like I wanted to do. Sure, yeah. You were able to creatively express yourself more appropriately yeah. rather than bring back yeah. cleaners on stage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All that, that was great, though, I have to say. <laughs> it's, I, I mean... It, I think witnessing something like that would probably be like, you know, the first time you see a band like, you know, Lightning Bolt or something like that, where it's just like, what's happening? Yeah. Like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and what, uh, this is more of a, a general statement, but the, um, you know, even though you obviously fronted ISIS and, you know, a lot of uh, attention fell directly on you because, you know, that's kind of what happens when people sing for bands. Um, you know, you never struck me as the person who was obviously like comfortable with that in the sense of like, oh God, like I can't wait for all the adulation to come upon me or all these people to ask me what my lyrics mean. Like it always seemed like you were obviously reluctant from that perspective. Was it just kind of, you just accepted it because you knew the way it was going to be? Or was it like, I wish they would talk to somebody else in the band. <laughs> I was okay with it. Yeah. I mean, at, when ISIS started, I definitely was not comfortable being a singer, and I wanted someone else to do it. And I talked about it with uh, Jeff, our bass player, quite a lot. Mm -hmm. But it just ended up being that there wasn't another person who was right for what we wanted. So I was the de facto singer. But it took me a long time to become comfortable with that. Uh, and to some extent, I never truly became totally comfortable with it. Right. Uh, but as, as far as being sort of the spokesperson or the figurehead to the band, I was okay with it. I enjoyed, under certain circumstances, talking about the ideas behind the band. And we never wanted to go the route of, you know, really promoting ourselves in terms of being a... How can I explain it? Like, <laughs> we we want public pictures where our faces weren't visible, and we didn't want to really become like kind of a PR hype machine type of band, right? Uh, so, in a certain way, that in and of itself is image cultivation, but different sort of way, right? Right. Um, we wanted it. We wanted the focus to be on the music and not so much the person who's involved. So that was kind of an, a very conscious decision, but it wasn't so much about being uncomfortable at that. It was just wanting the focus to be on something other than the the personalities of the people involved or something about the 
extracurricular activities with the people behind the band. Right, right. It's like yeah, you wanted you wanted to present it uh, as a as a cohesive unit and like not you know each individual band member is building their own quote unquote brand. Like <laughs> this is just a vehicle yeah. for them to do so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jeff and I, who were kind of the people who started the band, were into bands that were not mysterious necessarily, but who had a very interesting or challenging persona in the sense that you never knew too much about the people involved and kind of helped preserve the creative mystery around the band itself. And I think that that was really, really important for us too. I was always frustrated or bummed out when I read interviews with bands that I really and it was all, you know, fart jokes or talking about getting fucked up or whatever. <laughs> stuff to me kind of took away from the band rather than adding something to it. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM, let's create. You want people, especially if you're creating music, that obviously should be contemplative in nature. Um, you know, you don't want this completely juxtaposed image of like, you know, sort of blink 182 humor in interviews. Like, yeah, because otherwise you're just like, is this person even serious with like what they're trying to, like what they're doing? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and kind of on top of that too, because like, the you know like you were saying because there was obviously you know there was a, an intentional air of mystery about the band um you know people are going to perceive you one way as like either you know elitist hipster whatever the hell adjective you want to put on it you know was I, i'm sure there was an element of concern from that perspective where it's just like oh wow like you know aaron is like this super super serious dude and like he just doesn't have, you know like he has no yeah. sense of humor like you know I, i'm sure people came up to you that were like you know intimidated from that perspective where it's like oh i can't talk to aaron like 
He's this enigma. Well, there's some, definitely some accusations uh, <laughs> leveled at us about being pretentious and stuff like that. But right. as hard as it is in some way to completely remove yourself from that, unless stuff got really, really personal, we were never really bothered by it. I mean, there's a, there's a couple times where people were posting things on forums that were just so aggressive and they were obviously from people who knew us in some way or another mm -hmm. um, or had encountered us and thought they, you know, got enough from that encounter to assume that they knew us and that, you know, that was bothersome, but I learned to, I learned to ignore it after a while. I just realized that it wasn't that important. And as soon as you enter into a public sphere and you start putting your work out into the world, there's always going to be people who want to support you. And there's going to want to, there's going to be people who want to detract from what you're doing. And you just kind of have to let that stuff go. Otherwise you'll drive yourself crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, for every, every 10 positive things you hear about what it is that, you know, you are creating, the one comment that you hear that could be perceived as negative or, you know, questioning something you do, that's the one you're going to remember. <laughs> like that's just, yeah. that's just human nature. <laughs> I also learned early on from reactions I saw towards other people's music that if you were doing something that really, you know, had some substance to it, it provoked strong reactions and even strong negative reactions in that way are a good sign. It means you're hitting something in yeah. people on more than a surface level. Uh, that's a good thing. No, to I, I think it's a, such a great point because there are so many things. Um, the last thing that I think most people that create art want to be is kind of vanilla, you know, like just like not bad, but just kind of forgettable. Like they're never going to yeah. inspire any sort of really dialogue beyond just like, oh, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was definitely something we wanted to avoid and consciously avoid. But, right. Uh, and I kind of feel that way about the label, too. I'm, love or hate is better than indifference. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, and that's that, I think that's what was always the charm of what, you know, Hyderhead did as an entity. It's like you took yourselves as a label seriously, but at the same time, like, there was such a large sense of humor behind it that was like, oh, it's, you know... Like, it's just a record label. Like, calm down. <laughs> yeah. Now that you've, you know, been absent from the ISIS ecosystem for a while, um, you know, I, I'm always interested to hear, uh, you know, if there is, you know, a moment or two that's sort of markedly in the band's career where it was like, wow, like, this stuff started to feel real. And, like, maybe it's one of those things, like you said, where your parents started to be more understanding of like, oh, maybe what Aaron is doing, like there's, there's some legitimacy behind it, you know? Like, w was there any yeah. moments like that? Um, I can't think of any particular standout moments. There was a lot of small uh, revelations along the way. Um, but I don't view any one of them as being sort of the defining milestone for right. us. Uh, for me, just putting out our first album and being able to start touring beyond, you know, our very small regional area was a big step. Mm -hmm. um, and I think everyone else felt that way too. Uh, we had big plans in the beginning, but we didn't really know if we would ever be able to uh, follow through on those things. So when we were able to start touring and eventually when we got overseas and 
to Europe for the first time and then even a little later on got to go to Japan. All of those things were a really big deal to us. The fact that people very far away from where we had originated cared enough about our music to come and see us in their hometown was uh, kind of a huge accomplishment. All of us have been in bands of one variety or another before being in ISIS, but none of them ever got half as far as ISIS did. So every time we'd put out another record or went to a country that we hadn't been to before or, you know, got to open for one of our uh, favorite bands was a really big deal for us. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the mentality that you are describing is completely symptomatic of, you know, kind of the time that, that ISIS existed where like, you know, because you came from such, you know, modest goals where like you said, you're like, you know, I just want to put out a demo and then sort of the next step where it's like, okay, I want to put out this, um, as opposed, you know, as opposed to, it's like, you know, some, some bands, uh, you know, younger bands, they may have this like huge aspiration where it's like, all right, I would like to play Shea Stadium. And it's like, how do you get there? How do you even wrap your head around that? Like, you know, why don't you yeah. have like these more reasonable steps in your life? Like, it just seems, yeah, it seems kind of, you know, like self-defeating in nature. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think for us, again, it was partially because we were so focused on the creative end of things. The main thing for Jeff and I, when we started thinking about starting a band together was that we just hadn't really felt satisfied with the music that we had played in the other bands we were in and just wanted to play something that was closer to what we were hearing in our heads. Mm. Um, and so I felt okay about the first few records, but it wasn't until we made Celestial that I felt like we had partially achieved what we set out to do in the sense that I was really excited about the whole record and I loved the way it sounded and um, I didn't wince when I was hearing anything being played back. Uh, right. So that was really exciting to me. And I, I, a lot of the moments I remember in that way, I was just sitting in the studio when tracks were being mixed or being recorded and just being like, yes, this is this, like the song that I heard in my head and now it exists and it makes feel good to hear it. Like, yeah, these, these, it, it definitely is the small moments where you can take back and be like, yeah, like that, that's when I feel like, something turned something turned inside of me. yeah yeah um and so did you uh you know like kind of like going back to your parents and obviously the context in which you know you were trying to make sure that you know especially your father where it's just like hey dad like this isn't completely ruined like you know what did did they ever obviously try to come see you guys or did you ever like you know kind of show them a little bit of your your world that was built yeah sometimes my mom went to quite a few of our shows and uh, I think she didn't know entirely what to make of it. I mean, I think the <laughs> aggressive side of that music was and still is foreign to her. Right. And my dad saw a couple of our shows, and again, I, I don't think that he ever necessarily liked it, but he saw that we were really into doing it, and mm. the fact that it made me happy, I think, was reassuring to both my parents. And right. I also think uh, for them, seeing that other people were gravitating towards it and that it grew and grew over the years probably gave them some sense that we had momentum and we had accomplished something in the more conventional sense of that term. Because, yeah, it'll be it'll be impossible to put in context, you know, years and years of this musical stylings to them. But, you know, if if you just show it's like, oh, yeah, like 
other people other people are passionate about it and obviously like i've got band members that are passionate about it it's not like you yeah doing this thing on your own like <laughs> yeah definitely two things to sort of you know wrap everything up you know you obviously after isis ended and like i mean you've you've always been prolific in all the musical stuff that you've been you know doing from you know old man gloom house of low culture i could obviously list millions of projects you've been involved in you lived in los angeles and then now you moved up to the pacific northwest a decidedly different change from uh, you know one culture to the pacific northwest culture I presume that was very uh, deliberate in nature, where it was like, oh, okay, like hmm. I, let's let's slow this down a little bit. To some extent, yes. Part of it just had to do with the personal circumstances of my life and mm-hmm. getting involved in a relationship with someone who lived in the Pacific Northwest had a lot to do with <laughs> moving there. Right. Um, but I also I wouldn't have done it if I didn't feel like this place and this environment was going to be a very good change for me. Los Angeles was always sort of a a compromise in the sense that everybody in ISIS knew we wanted to get out of Boston before we actually left there, but nobody could agree on one place that everybody liked. Um, So so were you, were you legitimately having like band meetings to be like, all right guys, what about Denver? Like, what about Chicago? Like was it was well, it, really like that? it wasn't that it wasn't that broad. We all knew we we could agree that we wanted to be on the west coast, uh-huh. and I think had it been more affordable, we could have ended up very easily in the Bay Area because that was one of the things that we talked about a lot. But it just wasn't economically viable. Got it. Um, so L.A. it was, right. and I got some really good things out of living there. But in a lot of ways, I never got totally acclimated to it either. And I never felt like I loved LA. Like, yes, this is the place for me. There were things about it. I really, really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time, even before the time I moved away from there, I'd had enough and having grown up somewhere rural and being surrounded by nature came back to me again. I think for a while, I just wanted to get out of that. I wanted to be a, in a city and surrounded by people and connected to a scene and as I was when I moved to Boston. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after years of being involved in music, I made all the, the necessary connections in the sense that I was plugged into a music network that I could be a part of in perpetuity if I chose to, no matter where I lived. Mm-hmm. So that combined with the drive to get out of the densely populated area and how beautiful the Pacific Northwest is was plenty of incentive for me to come up here. Right, right. You're like, well, let's see, relationship, not, you know, clean air. Like, wow, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a lot there. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And sort of, uh, you know, like you alluded to earlier with obviously how things stand with like Hydrahead and obviously all the, um, you know, tumultuous times that every record label has gone through. And obviously Hydrahead is no stranger to that. And then now, I mean, 2013 marks you obviously uh, doing, you know, you're, the, the label will still exist and will put out these, you know, and I wouldn't even call them passion projects. It's like, you know, these these cool reissues and things that obviously put in context what Hydrahead has done in the past, but obviously can sort of present it to a new audience in a way. 
I don't know if you'd like to elaborate with obviously your intentions for what you want to do, where you see the label sits in your life currently. Is this something that's going to take up um, 10, 10% of your, of your life or will it take up a lot more time than you originally I, thought? I don't know. Right now, right now it's taking up a lot of time and more time <laughs> than it has in the past number of years. I would like to get it to the point where it's a lot more manageable. Is more of a side activity in a certain way. I mean, making music is is my priority. Releasing other people's music is not. That said, I feel very strongly about what Hydrahead has done. Uh, I also feel strongly about um, working uh, on other people's music through Siege, the label that I do with my partner, Faith. I think those things are still very important to me and, and being connected to other people that way is really important to me and, and being able to preserve to some extent at least what Hydrahead has done over the years means a lot to me and I think it means a lot to a lot of the people that we've been involved with over the years so that's enough motivation for me to keep it going. Yeah. Um, on, a, on a more practical level going back to our earlier conversation the poor business methods that Hydra had employed for years and years did come back and bite us in the ass big time. Um, part of that also had to do with the downturn in the music industry all over. But I need to write what was wrong. Uh, I need to make sure that we, we pay all our debts and we account to the people whose records we've sold over the years. And that's another very big motivation for me to keep it going over the short term. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could just put Hydrahead down and leave these debts unpaid and feel good about it. I think that would actually tarnish a lot of the good stuff that came out of it. So right. in that way, I need to learn how to run a better business. And that's part of what's happening right now. It's definitely taking a lot of effort, and it's definitely something that keeps me up sometimes. Right, right. Uh, I feel like things have turned in a really good direction, and even if they're not going to be putting out new music anymore, I'll be happy to work on keeping a lot of really great music in print and also trying to do it in an honorable way. Right. Well, no, I think, and I, I mean... I really like how, obviously, honest you were there, where just the idea of like, all right, some shit was fucked up in the past, but like now I, I've learned from that and I am attempting to, like you said, like, cause it's not obvious to a lot of people, but you know, there's a lot of labels of, you know, smaller to mid-level size that, you know, do, do exactly what you just said, where fold and leave so many people kind of high and dry, either, you know, record pressing plants or, you know, whoever, you know, bands that are royalties and stuff like that, just because this is the community that kind of is like, well, you know, that dude's blacklisted, don't work with him anymore, but you're never going to see that money. <laughs> and so it's, yeah. it, it's, it's refreshing to hear you say that where it's just like, oh yeah, like, you know, I, I want to make sure that, you know, that people don't, you know, in 10 years from now, people like, Oh, Aaron, yeah, fuck that dude. Hydrahead, worst label. Like, because <laughs> yeah. that happens so often. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, I didn't want it to go down that particular pathway. Yeah. So I feel good about what we've already been able to do in, in that way. And I feel uh, hopeful about the the probability that we'll be able to restore balance. 
Right, right. No, for sure. And that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's great that that obviously is on the top of your mind as opposed to, like you said, it's like, you know, it, it could, you could easily just, you know, whatever, turn off that side of your brain and be like, all right, I can't be sympathetic towards that anymore. Like, this is not part of my life. Yeah. It's like, no, it's, well, well, that's there. I, I think a lot of times what happens in those circumstances is that the people who make that kind of choice never think that has been burned. Um, You're right. Or they've never, they've never seen it side of it so in that way I've been very lucky to be able to see both sides of the fence and be more sympathetic to how labels struggle and also be more sympathetic to how bands um, are taken for granted by the labels that put out their records no totally and I, I think that I, mean, I think it's a, a great last point on the fact that ultimately I mean either professionally or just personally, like the best thing that you can do is just it's having perspective. Like the more you involve yourself either with, you know, other people with different point of views or just different relationships, um, you know, you'll be better versed at handling whatever adversity gets kind of thrown to you because you're like, no, I've experienced that, you know, same things that you're saying where it's like, yeah, I know what it's like to play in Omaha, Nebraska for 10 people. Like that that is part of my reality. That's part of what I've d- done with my life. So I can empathize with, you know, you band A because of this. And so there's that more level playing field. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Hope I didn't get too fanboyish on you. Um, but, you know, he is a person I really really respect and uh, I love his music and uh, you know, that's what happens sometimes. So check out propertyofzack.com, 100wordspodcast.com. Special thanks to our editor, Tom Richfield. Massive thumbs up. I'll have to uh, send them a gift sometime soon or something. Get them some Starbucks gift cards or whatever. I don't know. I think that's something that people do. Anyways, until next week, be safe. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sort. High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone, goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High Five! High Five! Casino! Casino! Win at highfivecasino.com! High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino! 
Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. 